Howdy campers, it's Lauren Marie Taylor and you are listening to the Not The Final Girl Podcast. Hey everybody, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Not The Final Girl Podcast. Today for Back To School Month, I've got a really special treat for you and it is Michelle Michaels. You know her as Trish, a final girl in the horror movie, Slumber Party Massacre. So for today's episode, Michelle and I are going to talk about behind the scenes fun, how Michael Villela prepared for his role as the killer in the movie, Slumber Party Massacre, as well as how she got her start in the business and what she's up to these days, and also how to be a final girl and survive. Let's go. Michelle, thank you for answering your phone. No, you're welcome, Lauren. How's it going? It's going good. It's going good. You know, we're in New York and the leaves are going to start changing. You're out west, aren't you? Yep, out west. But boy, do I love the fall. love the colors that you're going to experience. We have a little of that, too. You're not from L.A. originally, though, right? I'm from Orange County. I know someone said Las Vegas. It's wrong. (gasps) (laughs) We're peers, so we... Grew up in the business where it was all about the blondes. When you were coming up in the business as a brunette like me, did you come across that stereotype like brunettes are smart, blondes are dopey? It was there and I did see it. I actually did feel bad for blondes. (laughs) (laughs) Stereotyped as sexy and dumb. (laughs) Because, you know, one more sexual innuendo that he was a woman don't feel comfortable with right so of course that that was horrible were you one of those high school musical types growing up or, or did you fall into acting no 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 you're so right i wasn't the musical type i was the actor on stage as a little girl <laughs> yeah i got these parts i got the balabusta parts as a little girl mm-hmm. um probably eight years old i'm on stage playing the um, the grandma and you know, they grade my, they did the powder and the hair and everything. And I was screaming everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And of course, you know, we went home, a lot of comedy, a lot of story play with bro- my brother and sister and running around dressing up and making stories all the time. As a California girl, was it one of those things <laughs> that everybody around you just fell into acting or how did it, how did your professional career get a little kick? Great question for me. It would be anything out of uh, Northern California where I went to school. I was doing plays nonstop. I did so many that I almost dropped dead. (laughs) You know, um, let's see. So then a lot of television up there too, role after role kind of thing, a lot of theater, a lot of film and television too. Then coming down, okay, so then coming down, I cried the whole way down. (laughs) It, It was a culture shock. You're in the redwoods up there. And then, yeah, I just went right, I went right in. I went right into everything. I went into every office. I went into every agent. I went into every, I went everywhere around the world in 80 days right there in beautiful Hollywood, California. Were you a teenager when you made the transition or did you wait until you were a little bit older? I was, I mean, I came down in the seventies and, you know, I worked on all the sets, Zoetrope Studios. I worked on One from the Heart. I worked in Francis. I got a sad card, you know, all of it. Did you get any initial parts on TV once you landed in Los Angeles, or did you do commercials? 
the commercials came after I did commercials in New York and did really well. Well, that and that was half a mistake to go to New York, I think, because you're following your dream, your hopes, your wishes, but you're also, I'm an adventurer. So, I mean, I was flying all over the place and wanted to go there, though, for acting. And I loved, of course, more the, more experimental theater. And that really is the heart and soul of who, who I am. So all along, I've been doing that type of theater and teaching that type of theater and that kind of expression. Since it's back to school month and Slumber Party Massacre, and I, I would get oh. killed by everybody who listens to the podcast if we didn't talk about Slumber Party Massacre. <laughs> what was your initial reaction when you landed the role and you read the full script for the first time? It was an amazingly well-written story and screenplay. There were two powerhouse artist writers. You know, one was Rita Mae Brown and one was Amy Holden Jones, who readapted it and gave it kick. Yeah, That's why it read so well. It read very well. The way that they were pushing past the old limits of the, the slasher, even though some of the slashers were even fem- others were feminist too, but they were really making fun of the, sla- the 80s slasher. Right. Right? Yeah, the whole shower scene, the nudity. Um, Tony Hudson and I spoke about that, about her movie School Spirit. It, it, she even said, the boobs, the boobs everywhere. And it was. It was very much of that time to have the boobs and then just go as far as you can with showing you know, young ladies in the showers, you know, where are the guy's body parts that we're not seeing in the showers? They would never do that now. I mean, my God, we're in a whole new time. Thank God. I know that Amy really did her best not to exaggerate that moment, but you know, she's been called out on it. I feel like I'm exploiting myself by being in. It's my choice (laughs) to do that. I'm an actor. So an actor takes, uh, they take risk. Absolutely. All the time. I did it all the time. Not, I'm not saying I did that all the time, but the point is when you act that you're, you're caring about the role. And when you're, you're doing these plays, you're literally jumping into something that you don't know anything about. So you're, you're jumping into the unknown and boy, do I love that. I'm addicted to it. Yeah, especially when it's somebody else's vision, somebody else's writing, someone else's voice, and you've got to bring a life to that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you face any challenges during the filming? And if so, how did you overcome them? Yeah, yeah. Well, again, if I like jumping into that unknown, so I'm used to taking risk. And so it's all about, you know, can I source more fearlessness to get through the next challenge? Mm-hmm. I think the big challenge and the big voyage on the set was to feel the encircling of the women, the girls, the, the camaraderie, the squad feeling mm-hmm. that that's the key piece right there. I even had to think about that through the night because you're filming through the night, mm-hmm. you're exhausted and you've got to keep the bond moving, the energy of the girls. That is so important. Without that, we wouldn't have been a true human energy together human spirit. And so that was really the key piece. At that point in my 20s, I'm now in my later 20s playing a young girl, behind the scenes on the, off the set there, that was one challenge actually for me, to get close to everyone. Yeah, You have to build the subtext, I think, for the character. Yeah, I think that's the thing a lot of us have when 
you're doing a movie that is based around a school experience or they all live in the same neighborhood or live in a sorority house, because you're with those same people every single day, that bond is being forged and there's a trust amongst you. So that, yeah, your moving pieces are moving forward. It's so true what you're saying. And then you're going to fight the monster together. You're going to fight the patriarchy together. You become the sacred chain of strength to overcome the patriarchy. Mm-hmm. And that's feminist truth. I mean, that's the, the feminine lens. Um, yeah. My friend Tim from New Jersey wants to know if you have any like funny behind the scenes moments or any memorable be- behind the scene moments from the filming process of Slumber Party. Yeah, one of them that everybody knows is that I, I enjoy this, like Michael Valela. Oh my God. <laughs> so you know how I came from all that acting? Did, my, did Michael come from acting? I think he told me he didn't like have a big background in it, but he made this choice that was like brilliant. Yeah, that was to study the animal of a peacock, and that's how he got that body movement. Oh my gosh! Okay, now I'm thinking of that, and it makes complete sense. Behind the scenes, I'm like, "Whoa, that is smart!" But at the same, and then he's staying away from everybody. Another smart thing to do. But I had to be in the party in the mix. That was my discipline. Whether whereas he had to, he stayed separate. Smart choice for him. So circling around to that, yeah. films like ours have a lot of suspenseful and intense scenes. How right, did you right. prepare for those being with such a big, not big, but, you know, with a bunch of other women and being with each other all the time? Did you have time to yourself to really get into that moment of intensity? How did you How did you prepare for that? Beautiful question. So that entrance into the subtext I carried it. I walked with it. I loved it. I was in it. And once the camera was on, I am so focused and so I'm serious. The role of Trish, she's a very innocent girl wanting to grow up. And I was that girl. So I know the feeling of that so badly. I know that feeling so much, you know, but by the way, if you're an ingenue, are you an ingenue at 26? That's what I was. I was 26 when I did that. That was a challenge for me. How do you play a 17-year-old when you're 20, right? Yeah, I agree. I did that on the soap opera. Yeah, I mean, I was 23 and I was playing 16 on the soap opera. So, yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, the one thing about the the party, you're, you're smoking pot, you're having fun in a way that is almost like ceremonial. Women, girls doing it in a way where they're making fun of the patriarchy. They're doing it. And that's Rita Mae Brown's writing. That's her whole thing. And so, again, you're, you're doing the sacred bonding together, and um, you're overcoming the fear. And the other thing, too, you talk about the patriarchy. The, yeah. the boys who are looking through the window, they're kind of like horny little dogs. <laughs> Exactly. And they did such a good job of playing them. They're so <laughs> I love them. This love movie, them. it's it's uh <laughs> it's got such a huge cult following, right, over the years. And I saw that. I was at a convention last year, or maybe it was earlier this year, with Michael Villella. But he is such a charmer and a flirt. Was he like that when you guys were on set? No, not at all. Oh. Not 
Oh, are you kidding? <laughs> no, but he no, he loves to he loves to um joke around now. But when on the set, oh he was like I said, he was he had studied the animal. Yeah. The nature of the peacock. And you know, in and I studied at Del Arte School, School of Mime and Comedy. Now I think it's called Del Arte School for Physical Theater. I don't even think that alumni knows I did the film. <laughs> <laughs> You know, um, but the point is that they, that I was doing animals all the time in those classes. The big thing for the teacher, the teacher up there, Carlo Mazzoni Clementi. Well, you know, he was an actual colleague of Marcel Marceau. Okay. Yeah, and so he taught us, you know, the the, the fall, the prat fall, and he would say, "The ground is your friend." <laughs> the ground is your friend. Yeah, your friend. <laughs> What do you think contributes to the popularity of of Slumber Party Massacre? It's got that original, incredible, unique twist. The girls having standing up to that killer, <laughs> the feminism and the parody, you know, and poking fun yeah. at other splashers. But and but mostly you've got the two women. That I mean, I mean that really is is real strong. And then the other thing is. The human spirit of the film. Again, working to create bond. It was a kind of ecstatic fun that we created together. And you know what? You feel that even in the scenes where someone is um, revealed as no longer being with us, as, as having expired, to put it gently. Because there's a scene where the ladies are in the kitchen and the door to the refrigerator opens and this yep. chick starts to fall out and then it just yep. closes again. And instead of going, oh, my God, you say, oh, my God, but then you crack up because life just kept going, even though this chick is in the refrigerator. Did you see the remake? No, I have not. You've got to see the remake. It is incredible. In a good way? Uh I think, yeah, of course. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Dester Hawsey, another feminist director, she took it and she just elaborated on what we're talking about, taking that ecstatic nature of women and making it part of the style. Because, you know, it's overcoming the wound and the wound that the patriarchy makes on us and saying no to it in a very powerful way. Well, then how do you feel about playing the role of Trish? Because she's become a really significant part of horror history. So how do you reflect on that experience? I mean, as an actor, to be part of a beautiful film like this, or and to have had this lovely experience, even though it wasn't perfect, but it was amazing in its own way, you're then part of a kind of very powerful feminist storytelling, and that's extraordinary. That brought me forward into a very beautiful journey, heroine's journey of my own around uh, diversity and inclusion, both inclusion, diversity, and very powerful um, platform for human rights. How has your experience in the film industry influenced your career and your life beyond acting? Because I am hearing your touchstones to feminism. So producing concerts, world music, believe it or not, yeah, that's what I've done. And those concerts have women poets and the programs that I've been bringing forward in through the beautiful nonprofit programs have been through 
the arts and the healing and culture to inspire, educate, and empower one's voice, just like you're doing with me. It's what I love. I love inspiring others and activating their uh, unique, you know, heroine's journey or hero's journey. Do you ever go into schools or into high schools or colleges to talk and to touch <laughs> on the subjects? I would love to. Okay. I would love. To. I would love to do that, Lawrence. Yeah, I mean, so pro- oh, I have so nonprofit programs for over twenty years. That's oh. what I want to do. Wow. Yeah, over twenty years, bringing forward uh, arts. I mean, you know, theater, film, art, culture. Is there anyone that you remember particularly fondly or any a few? My God, in 2021, I brought forward program after program through Zoom. I transposed it all into Zoom, just like you're, <laughs> you know, producing, like I'm saying. It feels good to be produced. I produce so much and also teach acting. I love, you know what I, I did recently with theater that I love? I love this. <clears throat> you know, created my own theater piece with my, my partner. And then um, that group of actors in you know include they include world musicians it's like a whole storytelling with a a great audience and then the audience we do like an integrative experience instead of just teaching you know it's the performing and the guiding has there ever been a role that you auditioned for that got away oh my god that's such a fun question oh my gosh um yeah there's one in new york and and so i was always cast in irish roles Okay, and so I auditioned for the role of one of my favorite heroines, who was the head of the Irish American Army, uh, Bernadette Devlin. It's, I auditioned the strong five times, <laughs> and I, I knew I had it, or I didn't. So I said, okay, you know what? I'm going to call the director. It's time five times. Now, what's what's happening here? Yeah, <laughs> I found out that he. Um, he had lined up another, uh, another actress who was from Ireland. Uh-huh. But you know what I loved about that and why I also love Bernadette Devlin? And I, of course, love the Northern Irish dialect. Oh, did you have to learn a dialect? Well, no, I mean, I love dialect. Oh, my God, do I love voices and character and all that. Yeah. No, dialect's my thing. I love that. Ah. I love it. I love Northern Ireland, you know, and it's a, it's a deeper, it's a harder... It's not as lilty and up and down. It's not like that. It's like straight, straight girl you are, are you? How did you, um, how did you learn the dialects? Did you just go there and say, wow, this is really cool. I want to learn how to speak like this so I can get these roles. No, 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 no. Naturally. I mean, I, that's my thing. Wow. So I love to impersonate, you know, and I'm not always good, but sometimes I'm really on it. And my husband's like, (gasps) Oh my God, stop. That's sick. That's too good. Oh God. Oh, I can't take it. It's, you're too weird. You're too odd. Oh. <laughs> He's like, oh, that's, it's freaking me out. You know, <laughs> I know we're always performing for each other. He's got the wit like that. And I love character. This is a perfect segue to if you could play a role in a classic movie, uh-huh. who would it be? What if I said, I would love to play like Alice Guy Blachet. Okay, so what was she? She was a director, a French director that, like, one of the first to direct film ever, ever. And she directed 40 to 50 films. So, oh, look her up. She's amazing. So, I would, like, I want to play a director. It's like, I want to play, I want to play Amy Holden Jones. I want to play Rita Mae Brown. It's so important. 
that we encourage women to get behind the camera, pick it up, and start shooting. Tell stories. Tell women's stories if you can. The other woman that I've been wanting to play and we've been toying with, <laughs> it's not a classic film. Okay. I love my brilliant career, but I'm too, I'm older. So it would be an older woman finding her voice. But my brilliant career, Judy Davis played that incredible, feisty. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That was a, oh that was God. a revelation too at the time. All right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. See, that's the thing too, is we mentioned age a couple of times, like we're too old to play that. We're too old to play that. Oh. And, but wouldn't it be fun to play no matter what age that person yes. transcended, you know, from the earth? no matter what age they were, to still be able to play that part reflecting on your younger life and be able to play it from that angle, to talk about the person you were when you were younger in as that character. Does that make sense? God, of course. That's like a biopic. And there's there are so many ways to do that now to flashback. You don't have to do it in the old-fashioned way. There's so many new techniques yeah. for that. I asked Michelle about some of the ambiance on set and the behind-the-scenes moving parts for Slumber Party Massacre, and here's what she had to say. You know how you all you get on a set and you concentrate, you focus. Everyone's working to do that. Um, I just wanted to share the pe- my favorite people, the crew, the crew that were making the gooey, delicious, innovative, uh, the makeup. Yeah the innovation of that because they were it was all over the goo and it was sometimes it was getting all over all of us you know what i mean and it was part of the joy um and that they were like doing cutting edge slasher magic with whatever they had to work with (laughs) (laughs) i like the pizza guy's eyes yeah well think about aaron lipstout he's he was the producer but he was also the pizza delivery man (laughs) <laughs> I mean, you know, that, you can't have the film without that. This film would be nothing without that. Yeah, because it's a group effort. You know, when you're on set, if something doesn't work, you switch it up. If something's working, then you grow on that. Yeah, yeah. By the way, on the set, Amy, that was her first feature film to direct. Oh, it was. So we give her kudos, don't we? That says the talent right there, the talent of her. So, Michelle, you do conventions, right? You Or you've done them? Right. Okay. What is the strangest thing you've ever autographed? Oh, well, I'm not the only one, right? We all get, we get these very interesting uh, drawings by Devin. Devin is an amazing artist. It's like you're being honored. And then you get to autograph something so beautiful. That would be Devin. I would love to ask those that would like to meet me that if you want to your favorite convention, you know, everyone has their favorites and they're all over the country. Yeah. Then you choose a favorite convention. And then if you want me to come, just go to their page, their convention page and, and say, I'd I'd like to meet Michelle and uh, I'd love to come meet you. Yeah. I got to tell you something though. Some of these films have more final girls than are being touted. In this film, we should have talked about it. We'll do it again, though. We sh- you need to talk about it. It's not me. I'm not the only final girl. I know that. Okay. And, that's what, yeah. and that was the funny thing, because I thought, this is called the Not the Final Girl podcast, and I'm talking to somebody who was a final girl. So what advice would you give to girls and young women who are in a movie, like me, 
and mm. are not final girls. How can we possibly survive if we were to recreate our roles? I have to think about that. Okay. That, let me, let me get back to you on that one. Um, well, again, I hope that the final girls, that they are inclusive. And if they're not, I guess there's a place in hell for them. You know what I mean? <laughs> You just don't want to tell us your secret to being a final girl. No, I get it. Yeah, no, I know it's it's creating the bond. With I could not make it without the the group. <laughs> so you actually had to have a squad to survive. You have to have a squad. <laughs> That's it. That's actually it. Michelle, thank you so much for being on the Not the Final Girl podcast. You are a final girl, so it's an honor to have a final girl on this podcast. <laughs> wow, Lauren. <laughs> feel honored back and uh, I loved sharing with you a lot. Thanks. A big thank you to Michelle Michaels for dropping into the Not the Final Girl podcast for Back to School Month. You can find Michelle on Instagram at Michelle Michaels 12. That's the number 12 behind her name. And Michelle is spelled with just one L on Instagram. On IMDb, did I say that right? IMDb. It's just Michelle Michaels with two L's for the name Michelle. Michelle also mentioned that she would be updating that space as well as a new website. So keep a lookout for that and also where you can catch Michelle's upcoming projects along with appearances. A shout out, of course, to my Patreons for your support. I really appreciate it so much. Anthony and Tom in Maryland, James in Rhode Island, Anne in Pennsylvania, Nick and Chris in Texas, Aaron in Vermont, and of course, Tim in New Jersey. Again, thank you to my Patreons. You can go to patreon.com slash not the final girl podcast to learn more. Other than that, you can find me as usual on Instagram at Lauren Marie Taylor one. That's the number one behind my name, or just head over to my website, Lauren Thank you everybody for listening. It's getting chilly out there and I see lots of candy corn. So don't forget to keep your doors locked and stay out of the woods.